0: Welcome to game over Montreal. I mean, listen, it is the same, but it's not the same. That was a lot better. Yes, the Montreal Canadiens dropped another game, but the fact is that's, this is kind of what you want. This is the ideal scenario. They played well, but couldn't get it done. I'm going to bring in my guest today. Laurie Bennett. How's it going, Laurie? Going good? All all as well? Yeah, I mean, this is a bit of a refresh. I mean, here, I I feel like we're going to talk about it later in the show. But the whole Dom Ducharme thing, I I think people have taken the license to like go in on them a little bit too far, but we'll get to that. Let's let's talk about the game first because this is the first game of the Marty St. Louis era. And obviously, one of them got called back. But Cole Caulfield scoring twice. The first time, maybe a coincidence. The second time, I don't know if I think it's a coincidence anymore. What about you?
1: Totally different player tonight. Just a
0: totally different player. It, the way he scored, uh, you know, went
1: backhand, top shelf on that first goal, snipe the second. Yeah, it was called back in the offside, but. Total, like just just shooting with a totally different confidence, uh, a couple of beautiful passes, one to uh, to Foley, one to Suzuki that they couldn't finish. But uh, we haven't seen him play like that this season. Frankly, we haven't seen him play like that since the playoffs. Um, so whatever whatever happens, I don't know what happened overnight, but whatever happens certainly uh, is having a, an effect for Caulfield.
0: Yeah, and I, I kind of <laughs> speculated as soon as I woke up and saw the news yesterday that Cole Caulfield was probably not going to spend the whole time on the fourth line under Marty St. Louis. And, And I think there's, there's conversations to be had about how his development was handled this year, uh, both by the Canadians organization as a whole and Ducharme. But I think that it's very fair to say that sticking him on the fourth line, even while he was struggling was just not a recipe for success.
1: It was just it it was it was ridiculous. Like it was if that's where you're playing Cole Caulfield, send him to Laval and let him play top line. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. And I saw him in in in, uh, Laval when he was there, and uh, he like he wasn't playing with confidence. Calling him back up at that point, you know the body language was all wrong. It felt rushed at that point because I think they knew that he didn't really belong in Laval either. Like, um, but it just wasn't working. It wasn't working in Montreal under under Dom for whatever reason, and but it worked tonight.
0: Yeah, and I think like people who are putting it all on Dom. To be fair, like we saw Cole play under Dom last year, <coughs> he was fine. So I think there was a confluence of things that happened this year that led to this result uh, for for Dominique Ducharme. And you know, you know, actually let, let's get into it. because I've alluded to it a, a couple times here. Let's talk about Dom Ducharme because. I think both of us have criticized him pretty heavily this this year for good reason. I think he deserves to be criticized heavily for a lot of the ways that he's handled things. But at the same time, I think both you and I have been very frank about the fact that he was dealt a terrible hand coming into this season. You know, he's losing all, like, essentially his entire leadership core, all the the veterans that kind of carried them through last year's playoffs. Then injuries happen during the year that are just, like... How See, can you even, it's yeah. unprecedented what, what's happened to them. Then you're also dealing with COVID. Then you're also dealing with just like guys not caring <laughs> pretty yeah. much right from the outset. And I think you could say to be fair, he didn't find a solution, but I'm not sure if anyone could have. I saw a very fair comment today. Someone mentioned to me on Twitter. It was saying that Dom probably wasn't ready to coach in the big leagues without the veterans there without guys like Weber and price being in his corner and pushing everyone else in the right direction. And I think that is a comment that isn't necessarily saying that he'll never coach again in this league It's that he wasn't ready to coach this disaster. And like who, frankly, who would be, it's it's a huge disaster, but I think he's going to be a coach again in this league. His track record of success coming into Montreal was very long. But yeah, this is a move that had to be made. Like it was obvious it was going to be made a long time ago. I'm glad they cut bait.
1: Yeah, it was, it was time. Um, You know, when, when Gordon announced initially that they would stick with them for the season, I had no issue with that uh, at that time just because of what this season will be used for. But, uh, you know, there, there is no plan to compete for playoffs. It will be, you know, the lower they drop, frankly, it will be better for them in the long run. Uh, and they can change, you know, to what end. But it just, it, it became putrid. And, and I, like, it, it's impossible to say what specifically went off the rails. I mean, they spoke so highly of Dom last season. Um, and, and the team performed well for him. I, I thought I thought Paul Byron's uh, statement around it was, you know, was pretty strong that they that they bought into Dom last season, they played for him, and 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 I, I don't get the sense even today that the players dislike the man. Um, yeah. But but you know something went off the rails pretty early for the Habs this season, and I mean you could say yes, you know, like how about losing Shea Weber? How about Harry Price checking into a player assistance program. What are, You know, how about Joel Edmondson being injured? How about Phil Deneau being in Los Angeles? Yeah, all those things are true. But for me, there was, you know, maybe and maybe it was just they didn't believe that they could do it like that, that all the players that were so significant to them in the run that the guys looked around the dressing room in that first day of camp and went, holy crap, we're screwed. And it, it's like they didn't from camp. It didn't. Uh, it it felt like from camp onward that there was at no point where it looked like they were confidently taken on the season in any way. And, uh, and Dom paid the price for it. I mean, in some ways he's his worst enemy. for Sure. You know, he, he, some of his calls are bizarre at that, but, uh, but the hand wasn't a good one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's not one thing. And I think that it's, it's very human to, find one thing that's gone wrong and say like, it's this, you know, but so many things have gone wrong for the Canadians this season. I think that you look at this kind of disaster of season and the fact that they're on pace for, I think like 14 wins over and like less than that in regulation, right? Cause yeah. they've got one in the shootout. So it's, it's bad. Yeah. You can't get to that point without a multitude of factors going against you. And that goes, I mean, we haven't even talked about team construction because frankly, from that perspective as well, he was handled a terrible hand because, you know, I, I was watching the Steve Dangle podcast, uh, earlier this morning when I was getting ready for my game over international show. And they'd mentioned that, uh, they'd read something that like, you can judge a general manager by how they, how their team performs when they leave, like what they've left yeah. off with pretty harsh situation to look at Mark yeah. Bergevin in like, yeah hard to imagine that uh this was the plan it's impossible to
1: imagine this was a plan and, and when you think about it i mean certainly certainly when ken hughes took over he inherited a, a better cupboard than than uh bergman did perhaps i'm not sure that he inherited a better product in the ice than bergman did uh but in terms of what he had coming up through the system in terms of cupboard, a cupboard i think i think you know they're in better shape than when bergman came but when you think about it, they were in desperate need of a center when he arrived, and a desperate need in desperate need of a center when they left. They were too dependent on carry Price when he arrived, and when you know he's gone, carry Price is out, and they're done. Um, you know, there's there, there are some pieces, uh, certainly, but uh, and, and I don't think that Bergman inherited the amount of financial impossibility that he left behind. Certainly, so it's. Um, It's, you know, the season is, uh, you know, he's gone and it's kind of, it's kind of like he's uh, evaporated, but this season wears the fingerprints of Mark Bergevin all over it. Uh, And, 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 you know, Dom paid the price for it. He's not blameless in it either, but certainly he didn't, you know, a a lot of the issues that sit with
0: this team aren't what, what weren't his to fix. And yeah. uh, yeah. I mean, to a lesser extent, it's almost the same situation, not the same situation, but similar decision-making as when Claude Julien was fired, right? Like that wasn't really on him either. That was no. the change needed to be made. And that was the yeah. the easy change to make and the obvious change to make. Obviously, I think Claude Julien is a much better coach than Dom Ducharme at this point in time. I think he's one of the best even strength coaches in the league to this day. And the special teams were just terrible under him. And, you know, Carey Price was dealing with his issues unbeknownst to us at the time that led to him being very underwhelming for three years in a row, essentially. So there's lots that happens in the league that a coach is not necessarily at fault, but they're not part of the solution either. And I think that's where Ducharme finds himself. And I hope that we don't see as much sniping. Like, I don't know if you saw EJ Raddick from NHL.com yeah that was a phony and a fraud and it's like man that's brutal like that's
1: and you know based on what would you say that like there's that's the thing
0: yeah it's and that's i feel like was also a victim of his entire coaching career in montreal being stuck in covid protocols right so like every other coach media gets to know them on a personal level you talk to people in media about Claude Julian. They like wax poetic about how he's such a great guy. You know, like I've talked to Brian Wilde about a time that, uh, Claude helped him like boost his car one time when he was coaching Boston. And you, you hear all this kinds of stuff with Dom. We never got to know him on a personal yeah. level. Not really. So unfortunately, it, I think it's easier for people on the sidelines to snipe at that person who you only see on TV behind the bench. And I saw like, a few people posting that, uh, like Marty St. Louis was on the bench, like encouraging Cole Caulfield and talking in his ear and like, never saw Dom do this once. I'm, I'm sure that Dom did that with Cole Caulfield. Do I keep a record of times I've yeah. seen the broadcast pan to a coach on the bench and talk to a player? No, but I am sure that he didn't never talk to Cole Caulfield. Like that doesn't make any sense. There's no way he would act in that way as a professional.
1: No, I, I don't. I don't believe that. Uh, like, I, I don't believe that he was a bad guy. Like, I, th- I think the, the players probably liked him as an individual. They probably, you know, if I'm honest, I, I, I started to find Dom tedious to listen to. That said, if it were my task to have to face media every day after hearing after, you know, after the performance that he would have to speak to, you know, that would not be a fun job either to have to go out and explain that every day when you know when you probably know. That you've lost it, right? Like for whatever reasons, you know that you're not you're not able to pull this back together. Uh, that would not be a fun job responsibility every day. But yeah. um, you know, like I, I had like, there, there was one red flag that I had for Dom, and uh, you know, it had nothing to do with X's and O's or relationships or anything else. But there was an interview that Eric Engels did with him early in the season. And there were several times, there were three or four times in the interview where uh, where Eric gave him an opportunity to reflect on himself and what he might, you know, having come off this season and now going into a new season with a ton of change and everything else, you know, how he might want to adjust, what things that he wanted to work on, what changes he wanted to make. And he kept, you know, I don't know if it was deliberate on Eric's part. It might have just been, you know, a line of questioning that he never you know, that there was no deliberation around whatsoever. They were pretty logical questions. Uh, But each time Dom was unable to say that he needed to adjust in any way, shape or form. Hmm. Like it it was, it's a, I actually wrote about it back in November, but you know, he he was, there was, there was no point where Dom was able to say I'm going to need to lean upon this differently, or I'm going to need to, you know, with this missing, I'm going to have to do this. Uh, you know maybe you know younger team maybe I need to do it like there was nothing that he was able to say and and, you know sometimes that's sometimes that's less about a person's uh, you know who they truly are and more about how well they communicate so like I'll give that level of grace it might just be that you know he's not good at talking about himself in an introspective sort of way but but for me you know I, I saw it at the time and I sort of ignored it and then a couple of months later when I could see what was unfolding, I wrote about it and, you know, and, and it, 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 like, he's a double down kind of guy, right? Like he just, he would go down that path and then he was just, uh, you know, how, how many times does Brendan Gallagher have to say in the media that he's sick of having a rotation of line mates before Dom hears that in some way. Right. Uh, it, but and still like the next game, he's got a new set. Yeah. <laughs> <And>, you know, <laughs> it,
0: and Part it's of that's of driven like, by injury, but yeah.
1: Sure. But uh, but yeah, just it's it's uh, that that was the flag for me about Dom that I, I didn't know. Uh, like, I'm not sure. And I think that's the I think that's a maturity thing. I think that's a growth thing when you're able when you're able to stop and look at yourself and say, holy crap, I'm missing like I am missing the mark on something here. And I've got to make an adjustment and to really like rather than making little tweaks or trying, you know, like or doubling down actually go away and say where you know what is where did I go off where did, what? what's what's really missing and and who were you talking to around that there was even a question from Eric around what he was learning from other coaches and uh, even the answer to that was 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 some somewhat disappointing again it might be a communications issue but for me it just sort of left me going hmm um, not a lot of self-reflection here and that that for me, that's a red flag. I mean, that's 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 an occupational hazard on my end, but but yeah, it's a bit of a red flag in terms of where you know when when trouble comes, what he's going to be able to do with it.
0: Yeah, and trouble that, certainly came. I wonder how much of that is, you know, Mark Bergevin had the very same attitude, right? He was not very self-reflective and not willing no. at all at any point to admit a bad decision or yeah. a mistake everything was, I know more than you and Dom doesn't, didn't have that kind of aggressiveness to him when he was questioned, I found, but definitely a lack of communication in terms of transparency of decision making, all that kind of stuff. And I think, I think that's what frustrated me about the whole situation with Ducharme was once the season was very obviously lost, I expected as a young coach who was under a new GM, trying to show that he deserved to be coach next year that there would be a plan in place to essentially show like moving towards next year what are we going to try to take positive out of this season are we going to yeah. put you know Caulfield with Suzuki and Tafoli and say listen guys if you struggle to find chemistry at first that's fine go out there and make mistakes create some offense Find what makes you special because you're all going to be here next year. Or, you know, Suzuki Caulfield and Lekanen or Suzuki yeah. Tafoli, and like Like any combination that makes sense of players that are going to stick around, find that and put it out there. But instead it was constantly like balancing lines to, to yeah. be competitive. And it's like, but guys, you're you're not competitive. It doesn't matter if you have balanced lines when you're giving up seven goals a game. Like
1: Yeah, the balanced line balance line the 200 foot game
0: the you know
1: defense first the building out from the net uh we've had a decade of that perhaps more you know that that you know more really when you think about martin before but like there yeah i mean like that sort of it's that we've talked about it for years in montreal right the playing not to lose playing that you can't have you can't have one line that might be weaker you've got to have you know and what actually happens is you dilute every line and we've watched that unfold for years in montreal and i think we're going to see a shift i suspect that there's going to be a significant shift around that
0: yeah i think so too i think there's going to be a very clear change in philosophy both in like player acquisition style of play Uh, who gets rewarded for what essentially, or who gets demoted for what I think there's going to be a lot of changes that are very easy to see, even if they aren't necessarily communicated under this new management and under this new coaching staff. And, you know, frankly, the whole Martin St. Louis thing, let's move into that. Uh, it's out of left field. (laughs) There's no way to, to sugarcoat it, right? He has very little coaching experience. He's coached, I think triple a, uh, under 13s. So this is very much a Kent Hughes saying this guy's going to be the next Rod Brindamore because as much as he's signed on for the next two months to finish out the season, I I don't Doesn't think Mar- like that? no Martin St. Louis didn't come to much Mon- to the Montreal Canadiens to coach for two months. This is a yeah. play to be the next Rod Brindamore, who people forget had zero coaching experience when he came into Carolina and immediately was quite effective and has gotten better every season. Yeah. So. They're they're trying to build something here. They think Martin Saint-Louis has the temperament, the experience, and the intelligence to get this done and build uh, towards the future. I will give them the benefit of the doubt, although I will say the Vinny LeCavalier rumors are interesting, but I am a little bit hesitant about the idea of Hughes coming in and bringing in a bunch of guys that he knows... As his first move, because it's the same thing that Mark Bergeron yeah, did. Yeah, it is. He came in, yeah. and hired all his buddies, and not saying that they're necessarily yes men, because frankly, I mean, if you're going to bring in a bunch of former players, a bunch of like high end offensive former players is more interesting than a bunch of grinders, which is for what, sure, which is what Bergeron brought in. So yeah. there's th- that shift anyway. But I would like to see some very clear diversity of thought being hired in the organization. Now I've heard for the grapevine that there is going to be an assistant GM named relatively soon. So, and it's, I heard it was not LeCavalier. Okay. Le Cavalier is still he talks for something yeah. similar to what Scott Niedermeyer is doing in Anaheim. According to, I think Pierre Lebrun said it today on the broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. So he would not be like in Montreal. He would get to stay in Tampa Bay. I'm not sure what that role would be, but interesting nonetheless, but I hope we don't get into a situation where they just bring in all their friends and nothing really changes drastically because I want to see radical change for sure
1: and some of that's natural right like especially like I think about cant Hughes coming into this absolute shit show and having to you know build a an app like a completely new team you're you know it's a a bit of a default, but it's also kind of essential that if you know some guys that can do what needs to be done, then you fill some roles fast. You need to get some bums in seats to get some work done. And if you know that you can do, can do that, that's great. Like you, I hope that it, I hope that we start to see some diversity in the ranks a bit that the names that start coming out. And I, and frankly, I hope it's a big team. Like there's no excuse for Montreal to be running on a small crew.
0: Yeah, and,
1: uh, and I hope it's a big team that has, you know, significant diversity in it. Uh, I, I th- my, my own suspicion, and, and it might be wishful thinking, but my own suspicion is that right now he's hiring guys that he knows can fill specific roles because he needs to fill some positions fast. And then you'll see him, you know, supplement that group with, you know, more thoughtful processes, I hope. Uh, and that's not to suggest that either Le Cavalier or, or uh, St. Louis are, are not thoughtful. Uh, I loved, like the thing I loved most about St. Louis, frankly, is that nobody predicted it. Yes. There was nobody, <laughs> he was on nobody's list. There was no pundit saying, keep an eye out. <laughs> you know, I'd keep my eye on St. Louis, St. <laughs> Louis if I were you. Nobody was saying that. And and that's that's something I love about it. Uh you know, I love that he was a skilled player. When was the last time we had a skilled player in Montreal, Uh, you know, a skilled player coaching in Montreal. And I, you know, then, then the, you know, the the comebacks to that, or, you know, a skilled player doesn't necessarily translate into a, uh, a good coach. No, it doesn't, but we don't have a ton of examples either of skilled players who ended up being shitty coaches. Right. We have Gretzky, right? Like, I mean, who else is the one that
0: always gets brought up. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Right. So, you know, and, and it's not like St. Louis is. A, it was a co, it was a, a a skilled player who was coddled and, you know, didn't have to work for anything and was you know showed up with a you know with the number one draft pick for three years before he was drafted and was gonna you know uh, you know had the sunshine and out of him this whole whole career he worked to get where he was going and he you know he was a skilled player yes but he he wasn't. Uh, there was no privilege attached to that. You know, he, he yeah. didn't get there out of privilege. And so I like, I like that piece of it. And I, I love that. I love that both him and you are talking about an offensive minded team. Yeah. Hello. Can we, can we start to think about putting the puck in somebody else's net instead of just keeping it out of ours? Um, it's, it, yeah. It's, it, you know, those are the things I like about it. I mean, obviously there's all the flags that you talked about, like, yeah, it's a bit, it's a, it's a significant leap <laughs> to go to go from what he was doing to what he's doing now. Uh, but, you know, we've seen some guys take, take steps that were nowhere near as significant in the leap and not do so well. So uh, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah, and speaking of St. Louis' impact, I mean, there was a quote posted in the stream chat here earlier from Josh Anderson saying that the last game he was embarrassed, and tonight it seemed like everybody was engaged. And they were. I mean... It's, I feel bad saying it because it's like bullying at this point, but if the Canadians had NHL goaltending tonight, oh, I think yeah. they might've won that game. I think they might've won that game. They, I they, did, they, they, they did win great. that game.
1: They, yeah. there were, there were four goals allowed that should not have gone in the net. Like, yep. you know, three, there were three goals for sure that should have never gone in. And, um, and even if it was Montebo in the in net, I think wouldn't have gone in. Uh, primo, like it, it's I, uh, For me, it's not bullying. It's it's sympathy. Like this is this is ex- exploitation at this point. Send him down. He's not. This is not his time to be there. It, Montreal is not the place right now to be throwing a kid to the wolves every night.
0: And, yeah, it, uh, it doesn't make sense. He, it he's, doesn't. It's, they've got to figure out something there, whether it's finding a goaltender on waivers or yeah. making a small trade. Just, it doesn't have to be a great goaltender. It just has to be somebody who can play in the NHL and not have their confidence blown out the door because I, I yeah. just feel bad for Primo right now. It's very hard to watch. Uh, he's still a kid, you know, 22 yeah. years old, I know, but. It's heartbreaking. It is
1: uh, like, seriously, I would rather they go find that uh, Zamboni driver guy and give him a contract for the rest of the season and fire him in the net once in a while and let let him get blown out because that's, there's no future for him in the NHL, but what's happening for Primo right now is, is nasty. It and, is, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I think. Uh, you know, in in fairness, they've been busy, right? <laughs> they've had a bit on the go, uh, you know. So it's 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 hard to criticize them for not having done so. And and I, you know, like they've got forty eight contracts in the books, and they've got you know cap issues, and they're trying to work through actual trades to improve the team for the long term. I'm sure, but find somebody, heck, like you know, cross the border over to Ottawa and see if you can hire one of those truck drivers that got nothing to do. <laughs> and and throw, around, <laughs> throw him in the net for the love of God. <laughs> Reduce, oh man. You know, it's 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 sad to watch. You know?
0: It is. And I, I got there's a stream comment here asking if uh, Montembo was injured and that's why Primo was starting. Yes. Uh, Montembo, they've been very clear, does have a nagging injury. Uh, that's why they've been hesitant to put him in there. And, you know, somebody was asking, yeah. If maybe that's why he had some rough games before. I mean, I think it could be, but also I don't think he's that good. You know, like he had a good no. stretch there, but he's not a like Giant angel problem. starter quality. He might end up being a backup starter, like a backup quality guy. But at this point, I think he's very up and down and has been all season. The Canadians haven't done him any favors, but he also has not been great. Uh, I do want to address there's somebody talking about how like we're being unfair to Mark Bergevin because uh, he made the conference finals and the Stanley Cup finals once each, I guess twice for the conference finals because you have to to make the Stanley Cup finals. But uh, they're saying that he did a great job building the team, built them for the playoffs. Here's the thing, though, Greg, if not for COVID rules that gave the Canadians a different schedule last year against only Canadian teams or allowed the Canadians to get into the playoffs finishing 24th in 2020, the Canadians would be in the midst right now of, of missing the playoffs for five straight years.
1: Yeah.
0: Five straight years. It's never happened in Canadian his, Canadian's history. The worst ever in Canadian's history was three straight years. So we can talk about being built for the playoffs all we want, but the fact that Carey Price put on two unbelievably remarkable performances two years in a row does not negate the fact that the Canadians have been terrible in the regular season for five years. And that's despite, you know, Claude Julien giving, bringing some blood from a stone in a few of those years at even strength. It, it just hasn't been a good scene. And you see what's in front of you right now. The roster construction is terrible. The contract situation is even worse. And I know Laurie was saying that, uh, he might've left the Canadians in a better situation than he inherited them. I think there's some areas that that's true. Yeah. Like Nick Suzuki, I think is a great piece to have going forward. Cole Caulfield is going to be a great piece going forward, but I look at what he inherited also. And I see PK Subban, Carey price and Max patch all in the prime of their years. Yeah. Brennan Gallagher as a rookie, he inherited a third overall pick in Alex Galchenyuk who as a rookie put up the best, even strength points per 60, of any teenager in the NHL since Sidney Crosby, right? So there's a lot of things going his way. Yeah. And he turned that into nothing. You know, like yeah. About not that into nothing. I'll say he t- turned Max Pacioretty into Nick Suzuki, and that's a, an absolutely fantastic yeah. trade. I think. Even though Max Pacioretty is still great, but just based on ages, like, yeah, it just makes sense. But for the most part, he accomplished not much. Like he spun his wheels. He could never decide on what kind of team he wanted to build until he decided that he wanted a bunch of physical grinding, big defensemen. And then as soon as he did that, the team was terrible.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's not about an indictment of Mark Bergevin. I mean, he, you can point to the things that he did well. There were some trades that
0: turned out very well for the fabulous trades.
1: Uh, you know, there's, you know, and he, he managed to pull off decent contracts for a while. He kind of threw that out the window in the last year or so, but, but, you know, he had, he had some guys on some really good value contracts for a lot of years. There were things that he did well, the, the giant, there, there's two giant gaps for me with Mark Bergman. One of them is this: that I never had a clue which direction he was going in. I yeah. never knew what he was trying to build. I could look at an individual move and say that is a beautiful puzzle piece, but I it, like I would look at it and it did, I couldn't see the rest of the puzzle. There was like there was, it didn't it didn't fit. It was like I had a bunch of blue sky, but over here it was a cat. Like you know it did it didn't go together, and, and so you know that's the first thing. And the second thing that I would say about Mark Bergeron was that. Uh, And I'll compare it to what Hughes said, I think it was today, just today he said it, when he said, we could bring in some pieces that would make things better for this year, and could have perhaps helped Dom this year. And I don't know if the target is to help Dom or if it's to help Hayden Primo at this point, but he he said, we could have done that. But uh, we're not looking to build for this year, we're looking to build a team that will be competitive for years. And that for me is a really sharp contrast to make it to the playoffs and anything can happen. Yes. It's a really sharp contrast to trades are really hard. It's a really sharp contrast to this isn't PlayStation. It's a really sharp contrast to nobody wants to come to Montreal. Uh, taxes, cold weather, pressure playing here. Uh, you know, there was always uh, the thing that, I always struck me about Bergevin in, in, in particularly in the later years was how, how defeatist he was, how, how much he had decided it couldn't be done. And, uh, and perhaps in 10 years, we'll find can't use in the same predicament, but, I, you know, I really, you know, I like a con like, yeah, it was really fun last spring, the year that they went to the con- conference finals. That was really fun. Yeah. But, yeah. but man, like, do you, like, do you was it Greg? I I don't, I don't know you, Greg, but do you remember the Stanley cups? Do you remember what it's like to be competitive for a lot of years in a row? Do you remember what it's like to hardly ever miss the playoffs? And every spring I have memories of eating Easter bunnies around Stanley cup playoffs. You know, that, that, that's, that's how I grew up. And, and so like, you know, it was fun last spring, but it was, it was a, it was a gift. It, you know, they, fell in backwards to the playoffs in in a bad division um, you know the, the 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 year before when they made it in it was a gimmick it, you know a play-in tournament where the kids showed up and did some great things it was so much fun but did anybody really believe that that team was going to become a a regular contender I, I don't think so
0: no i mean did anybody um, really and, and believe it, they were going to beat the lightning last year No, maybe in the back of your head, you think maybe price can pull it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean,
1: in all honesty, you know, it was, it it, it was Toronto was a little bit shocking, (laughs) you know, just because, and yet not because of Toronto Toronto. and its situation (laughs) in the playoffs.
0: They're the Maple Uh, Leafs.
1: And then, you know, and then Winnipeg was like, holy crap. But after they beat Winnipeg, I thought they can do Vegas because I saw the, the team similarities there but you know it was always going to be a dream to be to be Tampa and it was a ton of fun uh, but, but I you know like a ton of fun once every few years on a you know a, a series of events that come together in a perfect storm I'd I, I'm really hoping that they choose to build a team that has us talk in playoffs every year yeah I, I want to be I want to be having my spring trip early. So I don't miss any playoff games while I'm in the Caribbean. That's that's what I'm looking for. Yeah.
0: hundred percent. And you know, there's a quote that has been posted several times in the stream chat. Now, Uh, Cole Caulfield after the game says, I grew up wearing number 26 because of him. It's crazy how, or now that he's my coach. That's incredible.
1: That's amazing.
0: That's I'm so happy for Cole Caulfield. (laughs) You think he was wired tonight? Like you could tell.
1: Oh, yeah. First
0: shift. Yeah. Here's a, here's a question, Larry, and uh, we'll put this answer in the chat as well. Over under 15 goals for the remainder of the season for Cole Caulfield.
1: Oh, that was game. What? 46.
0: Yeah. There's 36 games left. 36
1: I think. games left.
0: Hmm. Do you think he can get that hot?
1: I think he can. I, 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 think, I think he can so too.
0: I think he's gonna I, do
1: you know, it. I think I think it's really I actually had the thought tonight, oh God, like it's his rookie season. It's too bad that he didn't get this opportunity earlier. Mm-hmm. Because if this is how he's gonna play for the rest of the season, you know, the other thought I had was, do you remember you do you remember last season when <laughs> when uh every Montreal had a, a, a ton of uh games that went to three on three overtime and they would always throw out their penalty killers for the three on <laughs> three? <Yeah. laughs>
0: I felt so bad. People hated on Phil Dunneau so much for that. It's like he's not choosing to go over the bench.
1: It's just I just love to, I love to make that joke, you know. Send a good job, guys. Send a PK for your three on three overtime. But do you remember then when Caulfield was signed, and there were there was a couple of games where him and Jeff Petrie, two times where Petrie just nailed him with the perfect pass and the three on three, and and Caulfield finished.
0: Yeah, that's and how I they remember, made the playoffs.
1: Yes, and it was like skill knows skill, right? And and you know, you know, are there two players this this season that show off how devastated the Canadians are this season more profoundly than Jeff Petrie and Cole Caulfield? Yeah, it's you know how how far it's dropped. You know, I think he can hit around fifteen. It's you know, it's going to be interesting to see. It I think it's some of it's going to depend on how they clear out and, and what they, you know, how much, how much damage they do come trade deadline and yeah. how thin the team looks. Um, yeah.
0: And I think he's going to get a lot of ice time. That's for sure. Especially he's going to get a play. ton of ice time. Yeah. I think he's going to get a ton of yeah. give him, all the opportunities in the world. I think he does it. Um, another comment in here. Now that you mentioned Jeff Petrie, from the postgame tonight was Jeff Petrie said that the clarity of defensive responsibilities tonight made it easier to spend less time in our own zone. Jeff, tell us how you really feel <laughs> if, if there's anyone in that room like and I don't want to say that like the room quit on Dom. I don't actually believe that. I think that it's just the, the room quit on the season more than the coach. But yeah. I don't think Jeff Petrie saw eye to eye with Dom Ducharme.
1: I don't think he did. And, and I, I mean, it sounds like there's other stuff going on for Petrie and, and you know, whatever's, whatever's happening with his family and so on. I hope it all gets sorted. And, you know, like, you know, they're, they're able to be together I, like COVID and a pile of youngsters <laughs> with, with a husband who's gone half the time. Is not a fun time for poor Julie, I imagine. Uh, so needing a you know needing to be around family support and stuff makes an awful lot of sense to me. And I hope they're able to work out something for him. But you know it's 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 sad to me. Like I don't believe Jeff Petrie's washed up, and you know no. the contract's not long beyond here. Uh, you know I think he is someone that uh, you know has leader, leadership potential. That ship has probably sailed. It's probably too late. Uh, but, but I find it sad knowing that, you know, less than less than a year ago, he was firing beauty passes to Caulfield and they were going in the net and, uh, and, and, and yeah, that took him to the playoffs. It's, it's yeah, it is, it is what it is at this point.
0: Yeah. I mean, less than a year ago, I would have said that if Weber was traded over the summer or had retired, that like Petrie would have been my pick for captain. And it seems like the relationship is pretty damaged at this point. And I hope he recovers uh, his play under the new coaching staff because he's a player that I've really liked for a very long time now has been, in my opinion, the best defenseman on the Canadians throughout the last five or six years. And I, I just, I hope wherever he ends up, that he's happy and that he and his family can be reunited because I know that I can't imagine how tough that's been. Like, It's yeah, it's, it's been hideous. I mean, you know, like, you know, we're, we're all employees
1: dealing with, you know, some business of kids at home and, you know, like they've got, they've got how many kids three and I think she's pregnant again. Uh, and you know, in, at different ages, I think one of them's in school, and so on. Like, and and think about that schedule where the Habs had no home games and all the games moved away. How long Petrie was gone, and she yeah. was there, and, and her family is, you know, out of out of country. It's it's you know not a fun time. I mean, I, and I'm surmising a bit. I mean, perhaps perhaps she just wanted to go home. Who knows? But uh, it's it it it's a situation that makes some sense to me. I you know I, I'd love to see it work out for Petrie, but. I also think that you know if it's if it's best for him to move on that i think they can fetch a package for him and it can it can work for both players so
0: for both both parties rather but yeah that was i i was pretty interested because like i've been on the petrie isn't broken train yeah. the whole season right? like things are going wrong there's mental mistakes happening obviously but like his underlying play is still overall relatively solid it's just that There are moments in games where he loses his mind and does the dumbest possible thing that has not really been part of his game. And, you know, a a better situation where he's calm and happy would probably fix that on its own. So to see, I was reading some like uh, stuff from insiders recently saying that uh, if the Canadians choose to trade Jeff Petrie, it might not have to be at that much of a discount because he's still very, very well thought of in NHL circles. So, I, I do think that they are going to trade him. I don't know if it's going to be at this year's deadline. I assume that uh, it might be, but he does have term left. The thing is, if Petrie can get back to even 80% of what he was last season, his contract is not bad. Like people the think contract you know, isn't bad. 6.25 million is a lot. It's not, not for a no. guy who plays 22 to 24 minutes a game, like, and dominates players when he's on, you know, so. And scores I think 40 that- points exactly like he, this yeah. is a good player who's had an awful yeah. season not a bad player who's being exposed uh yeah. i did see a comment here from dylan hume saying petrie was better than McCar, literally last season i wouldn't go that far that's a little <laughs> bit far for me Kale car is pretty damn good i mean i think he's the best defenseman in the world right now i will say that i think you look at makar play and the highlights that he's able to perform go back and watch young pk suban pk suban ran or walked so that Mikhail Kale Makar, sorry, could run. Very similar to see yeah. how he skates around the ice. Although McCar's a much better skater than PK, I think PK had good edges, but he doesn't have anywhere close to the the top end speed or acceleration that uh, yeah. Makar has. Man, that kid is incredible. I would kill for a Kale McCarr <laughs> to watch every single yeah, night. I don't think he's available. No. <laughs> no, you got to find the next one. Unfortunately, you got to do the hard work, but that's, I mean, that kind of brings us back to Mark Bergevin, right. Is why they're in this situation. And, you know, to talk about what Greg was posting as like the things Mark Bergevin did. Well, I agree for the most part trades. Great. Uh, the last couple of years did better in free agency, despite the fact that he was okay. very defeatist about it. The Tyler to contract is honestly one of the Beautiful. best in the entire league. Uh, yeah. one of the reasons why I don't want to trade him, uh, but. Development is under his tenure the worst in the entire league, and it's actually yeah. not even close. We had Shane Malloy on the show a couple times in uh, January, and he broke it down just by essentially every metric. The Canadians drafted somewhat okay and developed exceptionally poorly. No team has developed worse than the Montreal Canadiens over Mark Bergevin's tenure, and you know, frankly, it's easy to say hindsight is twenty twenty now. But that trade for Dvorak, I think they can still get value for him. I don't think he's part of like the rebuild. But I think they probably just should have kept that pick. You know?
1: When you look at where they are now, they absolutely yeah. should have just kept that pick. I mean, that's you know, with hindsight, what it is. Yeah, I, I, you know, the pick would certainly be more valuable now. That said, it won't shock me uh, if if he's moved. It won't shock me if he's someone who is moved at the deadline because I think just like. Uh, just like the league hasn't forgotten that who Jeff Petrie was before this year, the league also hasn't forgotten who Christian Dvorak was before this year. Agreed. And there are teams that, you know, he, what he brings a playoff team will, will enjoy. There's a couple of teams that can really use a, th- a third line center right now. And, uh, and he's pretty good value. You know, if they tr- if they chose to take back another contract in the deal, I think they can probably get that first back.
0: Um, yeah. And maybe even move up a little yeah. bit and probably move up a bit so you know there's
1: yeah there's um you know it won't surprise me if he's part of the the consideration but you know maybe not maybe not till after the season's over um yeah it's it'll be really interesting you know one of the things about I was thinking about it today one of the things about having Bergman around for as long as he was is that he started to get kind of predictable um, you know, he used to, he used to love to say expect the unexpected. And yeah, I mean, like, you know, when, when he chose to sign, uh, to Foley, I remember being floored, uh, that he had pulled it off. Uh, but you know, it's, it's kind of like every deal, even when you didn't see it coming every deal, you could look back, you could, you could easily file it into one of Bergman's folders, right? But it, like it just fit with everything, you know, you knew about him after him being around for so long. And, um, that's not true with these guys. We have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, you know, I, you know, We can kind of guess some things that make sense to us for them to do. But I, I wonder if they're going to, to swing for the fences and try to bring in um, someone that's, that's more franchise-altering than, than just chipping away at bits. I, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, it, it'll be really fun to start watching some of those small deals, or not small deals, some of those first deals to see what what their footprint is going to look like
0: yeah for sure it's it's an interesting situation and i i agree that Dvorak still has a lot of value around the league i think you look at his offensive game and despite the fact that it took a long time for him to get going this year his offensive numbers are fine this They're year fine. overall yeah. uh one of the better guys like relative to career average on this team where most guys have just had the a massive career dip it's the defense that's fallen apart for him this year. And he's never been a great defensive player. I think like you look at like the, the war metrics and stuff and he's like 35th percentile or something for forwards. But this year he was like the single worst in the entire league. And that's like outlier level that I'm like, that's not, that's not going to stick around. And I think most hockey people would see that and say there's more to this player and he's got a great contract for like yeah. being able to digest it. So
1: I can see him being somewhere like Calgary mm. and uh, you know, like I, I think about something like, you know, I, I think that he would thrive under Sutter oh, yeah. uh, and they and they've got an expensive center out there right now. Who's languishing and playing deep in the lineup. Uh, if the haves were, were prepared to send Dvorak their way and take back that big, ugly contract. Uh, I wonder what else they, they might be able to, to take in that sort of deal. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of teams that could use what he, he brings to the table come playoff time. Um, but who knows? I mean, there's, um, you know, I, I, one thing I caught that you said today that I kind of chuckled at was, you know, he was very quick to pipe up and say, uh, there's going to be changes and this is just the first one <laughs> and it kind of it kind of had an ominous feel to it like oh god <laughs> like here it comes like this is this could be big um,
0: yeah there's like the weight for the guillotine to come right and now it's down <laughs> and they're just rolling it right back up the next head's gonna roll
1: yeah and they've they've not said you know if they're doing a free or a full rebuild or if it's going to be a retool or one of the other rewords, but uh you know they they've uh, he, there was some commentary today that sounded very much like the letter that was issued by Gordon Gordon back in, uh, in in New York when he said uh, you know you know we have we have a team that we could build around and compete now, but we, we're, we want to build to be competitive for years And that that very line, that exact line about being competitive for years is uh, is straight from that letter to the fans back in 2018. So it sort of makes you wonder hmm, like, maybe this is going to be a full rebuild and things. And, and if that's the case, we could see some pretty significant shifting happening between now and, and training
0: camp. Yeah, I think a lot of what happens between now and training camp is going to depend on how certain players play the rest of the season out, right? Right. Like- who wants to be here? You got to show it. I, I I wrote that for the Montreal Gazette essentially a couple of weeks ago. It was like the, the players who want to wear that crest, we already know who they are, right? And maybe there's more in there, but they've got to show and prove that they do because yeah. you want guys like as much as Bergevin harped on character way too much for my liking, especially considering he seemed to not really give a crap about off ice character, but <laughs> character does matter. And in this instance, like passion for playing for the Montreal Canadians. And it sometimes it comes from guys that you wouldn't expect it to come from, right? Like Tyler Toffoli. I love he, him. He wasn't signed by Vancouver, right? The, the Canadians yeah. were his second choice, but him and his wife, Kat absolutely love it here. They embrace it here.
1: Yeah.
0: That's special. That means something. So I, I think those kinds of players you got to keep him around, at least some of them.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I think he's. Uh, I, I like what he has with Suzuki. You know, I, I think that uh, just keeping around, like, keeping them around, just for that purpose. You know, they've they've got two more trade deadlines that so they can get a a killing uh, from, from from him. They can move him next trade deadline or the one after. But I, I wouldn't do it this year. I would hold on and uh, and let him be part of the the leadership group going forward. I mean, there's. There's so many questions about, like, I don't know if Gallagher wants to stay. He, he You know, he's starting to look a bit miserable too. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not sure if he's going to be interested in the second round. It looks like Petrie's on his way out of the door. Sharat is going to be gone. Um, you know, Byron, uh, yeah, Byron is, is who he is. Like he may, you know, he, it won't surprise me if he's around for the rest of the contract is another year after now, but, but they're going to need some guys. Where's Joel Edmondson? Like, did, did he like, fall off the face of the earth. Like, it's like, nobody's even talking about him anymore. Where, where is he?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a, the, the mystery around Joel Edmondson's back injury and, you know, him and the nagging injury that price is dealing with and the rehab, from the knee surgery, it just seems like everything that could go wrong yeah. has gone wrong this year. Yeah. It, it's nuts to think that like price and Edmondson will not have touched the ice at the bell center. Fifty games in,
1: yeah.
0: You know, it's... if they do it all, do we even have a return
1: time on Evanson? I
0: I feel like he's been week to week the entire season. Yeah, he had to have go to deal with.
1: Skate?
0: I don't think he's skating right now. I don't. He think had, he, he, had think he had a setback relatively yeah. recently, and get a setback relatively recently. But Price is skating at least. I know he was testing out his knee the other day. He had like yeah. a twenty-five minute session. So there's room there but again we don't know when sometimes it just takes time Uh, i think the other thing that uh, like i've seen a lot of people say like oh well the the surgery that price had that's like a couple of weeks recovery for an average person not a professional athlete not a goaltender who puts an incredible amount of strain on that knee right you know
1: and and who's had surgeries and injuries before that yes it and has to be ready to,
0: to take a Chris Kreider smashing him in the leg on a breakaway, right? Right. Like you yeah. have to be confident that that knee isn't going to blow apart. The first time you take a little bit of contact and the average person just does not deal with the amount of physical attrition that a professional athlete does. So it, it's yeah. very hard to compare average recovery time from an injury with, you know, a later career professional athlete.
1: Yeah. I was having a thought the other day, you know, he's a big man and, and the trend certainly seems to be toward those giant goalies. Uh, But I wonder if, you know, if the, if the position itself, I mean, certainly having all that, all that size in front of the net helps, but I, you know, I wonder with all of the, the, the knee dropping and the, the twisting and so on the shifting from side to side and, and the, the pressure. And like you said, people falling on you and all that jazz. I wonder if, if a smaller body would handle it better in some ways, like they, you, yeah, you know, I, I don't know how that works, but um, yeah, I, you know, and it was, it was kind of tragic. Listen to him when he was, when he did his, his press conference and you kind of got the sense that he wasn't sure he was ever coming back. Like, you know, he, he, he really wants to, but it, you know, you can see the doubt in his own mind
0: and yeah, there's yeah. there's an admission that that it's possible that it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Hopefully the fact that he's been skating pretty uh, significantly here consistently means that things are going well this time and he's not suffered a setback and maybe he won't suffer a setback this time and he'll be back, but we just don't know as of yet. All right. uh, I think that's all we need to talk about tonight. I feel like we've covered everything. I think everyone's excited to see what Martin St. Louis can get out of Cole Caulfield. I think, the stream chat was also pretty significantly on the over for 15 goals. So, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so good. we'll, we'll see. Maybe we should place some bets on that. Maybe it'll be like a game over specialty bet. Poke coffee 15 go. goals the rest of the year. But uh, before up. we, before we go, uh Lori, tell everybody where they can find your stuff.
1: You can find everything connected to my Twitter account, Lori 10 Abs, and, uh, some significant stuff posted at Hab uh wordpress.com. And uh I also write for Wreck um dot com. <laughs> I had to think about that for a minute. So but all of it's attached to Twitter, you can find it all there.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks everyone for watching the stream. As always, in this season. If you're still watching this show in this season, we really appreciate it. <laughs> it means a lot. <laughs> Uh, shout out to Dodger Tafoli, the Tafoli dog. Everyone keeps on saying the dog is the best content from the Montreal Canadiens this season. I mean, that's probably true. <laughs> Dodger Tafoli, the MVP. All right, everyone, we will see you again. I won't see you for a bit because uh, Julian McKenzie is going to host both of the afternoon games this weekend. And because uh, I'm going to take the weekend off after covering the Olympics all week. And also, I'll, I mean, I'll see you all again for Game Over International in less than eight hours. It's 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time today and then uh, again on Monday.